0: Hello, everybody, and welcome along to a special program on IMSA Radio and across the Radio Show Limited network of audio and visual channels. I'm John Hindorff, and we're going to be looking back in this show at the 2020 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Can't wait. It was a season as none before, to be quite honest, for the obvious global reasons. I don't think there's any need to go into that right now. And delighted to see that joining me to go through uh, the season's highlights and uh, pick out the star performers, I suppose, uh, will be Jeremy Shaw and our VP Racing Fuel pit and paddock reporter, Shea Adam. And as the bed fades gently into the distance, I'll say hello to Jeremy first of all. And Jeremy, um, a season, as I said, like no other, But goodness me, we did get a season at least completed and pretty much a
2: full season. If not all the places we were expecting to go to, we did get a pretty full season. Yes. Hello, John, Shea, everybody who's listening wherever and whatever time it is uh, (laughs) out there. Uh, Great to be back with you. And yeah, it was a remarkable job, I think IMSA did, to put this season together. Yeah, yeah, down a race for, for DPIs. Uh, only nine instead of the usual ten, but uh, it was a, r- a remarkable job i think that uh, was put together there to make this season happen and it was there was There was no shortage of excitement was there
0: uh, indeed not share we all had to the teams the uh, the manufacturers the promoters at IMSA and ourselves and the other broadcasters all had to get used to slightly different modes of working, but you still managed to get all the news and the, the paddock gossip as well uh, around the uh, in a season where we went to Daytona twice and Sebring <laughs> twice. Uh, and we also went to Charlotte Motor Speedway two places. We weren't expecting to have the short races, IMSA, as Jeremy said, doing a cracking job to keep the calendar pretty full. And actually, some of those, what have been, I think, unfairly termed makeup races, additional races would be better. They worked, I think, I think they worked very, very well indeed.
1: Yeah, they did. And especially when you consider that, yeah, two trips to Sebring, Daytona, Michelin Raceway, Road, Atlanta. When you look at it on paper, you think, nah, that couldn't have made for very good racing. People on the same tires, just going in. Well, We mixed up tires. We mixed up conditions. We had a summer race at Daytona and a winter race at Daytona. We had what could be considered a cooler race at Sebring and one that was right smack dab in the middle of July. So everything we experienced this year was different. And although we did miss going to some of those staple calendar events like Long Beach, Belle Isle, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, Lime Rock, Watkins Glen, we definitely made up for it with those races. But yeah, wouldn't call them makeup races, would call them bonus races. Uh,
0: the shorter races really work for me, Jeremy. But what, what I thought was the biggest surprise, when I saw Road Atlanta six-hour almost, well, in, in the calendar back-to-back, with only you know, a relatively short time period between that and Motul Patilamon, I thought that's that's not going to get that's not going to get a crowd. People have already been there. Um, we're not going to be interested in seeing two races there. But they had distinctively different characters because of the the different uh, the different time skills
2: on the races themselves. And, and again, I thought it worked. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, yeah, the, the, the crowd factor was, uh, of course, decimated by the by the pandemic. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there were some fans, at least, for, for for Petit Le Mans and, you know, a lot of enthusiasm about those that, that event. And, you know, the six-hour race there, yeah, not ideal to have two long-distance races at the same racetrack for most people. But for the teams, of course, you know, it gives them some familiarity. They were able to prepare a lot better for Motul Petit Le Mans. So, from that perspective, that I think it worked out quite well. And the races, indeed, were tremendous.
0: So big thumbs up to everybody. The protocols in the paddock seemed to have worked pretty well. Uh, there were a precious few uh, reports of anybody having issues with the virus. Uh, it was well policed by uh, by IMSA. John Doonan and the rest of the team uh, deserve a big big thumbs up and a, a little more than a little golf clap from everybody concerned. The business of motor racing got back underway after what looked like a fairly normal season start uh, at Daytona and we came back then after a long break, the big yellow uh, the long pause as Eve was calling it, uh, and on the 4th of July weekend, stunning event from, me, from my point of point of view, even that we, we remember had a delay because of, uh, of weather and it got pushed back further into the darkness than we anticipated but I think all of those things uh, worked pretty well uh, let's talk about the championships themselves then the weather tech sports car championship we had a sprint cup as well in gtd and then we had the long distance races and we we did get all the long distance races in as road atlanta took over from uh, from watkins glen with the six hour uh, uh, that for the michelin endurance cup uh, as well so it it all it all worked pretty well I, i'm going to start jeremy if i may in in gt daytona um this and there's a reason for this this i think more than any other category this year shows just what imsa are doing right in some ways they're a bit late to gt3 and gt4 but since they've got wholeheartedly behind it the manufacturers have understood what the opportunity is 10 different manufacturers this year in gt daytona and at the end of the season, the top three were separated by nine points, being Lexus in third, Porsche in second and Acura, who won the championship. Before we talk about the teams and the drivers, first of all, GTD, GT3, um, GT Daytona in IMSA parlance has been and continues to be, for me, a success.
2: Yeah, true. I think it's absolutely fantastic, uh, and we saw this season. Yeah, you know, with uh, with so many different manufacturers in there, we had a uh, you know, total of ten different manufacturers in GTD during the, the season, and yeah, you know, pretty much all of them had something to crow about at one stage or another, which uh, you can't say very often.
0: It is a balance of performance category, Jeremy. Three words that strike fear into the heart of many motorsport enthusiasts. But what it, we've seen globally in GT four and GT3, GT Daytona, as it is in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, is it allows the manufacturers of cars that are as disparate as a low-lying Acura with an engine at the front to a fairly traditional Porsche 911 with the engine right at the back to a front-engine Lexus, which is actually you know a much bigger frontal area. Say the same about Mercedes and, you know, Audi's, McLaren's. Uh, Mercedes, AMG, Lamborghini, Ferrari—of course, seven different winning cars out of eleven races. I would say that the IMSA technical team got their sums right this year.
2: Yeah, no question about it. And you know, and several more had uh, either pole positions, fastest laps, or podiums. I think everybody uh, clicked, clicked one—at least one of those boxes, which is which is just, just fantastic. And yeah, I know a lot of people are not fans of bounce performance. I am. Because I just think it uh, it just adds to the variety, uh, and particularly when the uh, the uh, technical staff at IMSA does such a good job in in trying. To make all those those different cars as competitive as can be, you know, there's going to be horses for courses every now and again, and as there yeah, should there's, be, there's always going to be. Yeah, exactly. That's right, uh, and uh, that's that's par for the course. And you know, there was there was no domination whatsoever in GTD, which was just tremendous to see. And if you if you got your sums right, if you did your homework, if you executed on race weekend, you know, you had a chance to be on the podium. Uh, and that's the key point that Jeremy's made there, Shay, isn't it? Because Whatever
0: the balance of performance is, it, it shouldn't really interfere with a team having either a bad day or indeed a very good day. And there was still the opportunity for the drivers and the team as, the, as a whole and indeed the strategists to make a difference. And I think that a lot of that is down to how much work the team's put in, how professional this if you like, starter category in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is, but also all that work that IMSA's technical team do. They don't just accept the data from other championships around the world. They know that the North American circuits, uh, the Michelin tyres that we run on in WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and... Uh, Frankly, the character of what we do in IMSA is a bit different. Therefore, they have their own data collection and it gives everybody the chance to shine on a
1: good day. Correct. And that's why we get such good racing. I mean, if you think back, even at the last race, of the the season is a perfect example. The Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. The fastest car in GTD did not win the race. As a matter of fact, one of the slowest drivers in the field was in the winning car of GTD because Everything played out. The crew performed, the strategists performed. Yes, the drivers performed, but they were a very small part of the puzzle. And Patrick Long, Jan Halen and Brian Hardwick would all tell you that they wound up winning the race because of a team effort. The, the cars that were running at the front of the field ahead of them with 20 minutes to go in the race the fastest car didn't even wind up on the podium. They were battling for the win come at the end of the race and they wound up taking themselves out or extenuating circumstances. So the crew behind trying to make sure that these GT three platform cars are as equal as they can be. They are the reason that we get such good racing in GTD. It's not the fact that the cars are equally balanced on their own. It's the fact that the technical geniuses behind are the ones making it happen.
0: Uh, Jeremy Shaw, you you love a statistic. Uh, what have you got on GTD that you'd like to throw into the melting pot here?
2: Well, yeah, just just building on, on what Shay was saying there. Pretty remarkably, uh, out of the total of 11 races during the season, uh, only twice did the race-winning car set the fastest lap of the race, <laughs> or manufacturer set the fastest lap of the race, which is which is fairly surprising. Not you know quite often, uh, probably yeah close to 50 percent of the time, the race-winning car. Um, or the, or at least the, the pole-winning car would have the fastest lap also of the race. Uh, but just on uh, two occasions during the season did that happen in GTD. I think that just shows you how wide open it really was. Uh,
0: in the Sprint Cup, I was talking about the numbers for the, uh, the big championship. In the Sprint Cup championship for manufacturers, it was... Uh, uh, Lexus and BMW, <laughs> I've, I've just managed to put those together, Lexus uh, turned the tables uh, on Acura, uh, with BMW in third, Porsche in fourth position. Uh, again, I mean, we're talking about a lot of success here in difficult times, Jeremy. But the Sprint Cup has done exactly what it says on the team. Team, it has brought people in to put a toe in the water, uh, who some of whom have gone on to the full championship. Um, a shortened schedule with shorter races Uh, so congratulations to uh, Lexus for for winning that and uh, also for their for their drivers has that worked for you it was the it was the number 14 crew from Ian Vassar Sullivan that won from Turner's 96 BMW and the second of the uh, Ian Vassar Sullivan cars in third position as far as the team's championship was concerned has that worked for you was it a needless complication
2: no, it was brilliant. Absolutely superb. And it brought in an extra three or four cars, as you mm-hmm. say, that weren't uh, able for one reason or another to contest the entire championship and you know, give everybody something different to go for. And it was certainly uh, good news for Aime Vassar Sullivan and, and the Lexus manufacturer because you know, they kind of threw things away mm-hmm. in the overall championship uh, towards the last couple of races of the season. But at least they did have something to show for the 2020 campaign, which was absolutely right because you know, they, they, uh, they did a super job all the way through the season, uh, they had some misfortunes uh, tr- right towards the end of the last couple of uh, regular season races, but at least they had that Sprint Cup Championship in, in GTD to to uh, to show for it, and you know, it was well deserved. They had three wins uh, out of the uh, out of the uh, the seven six races that, that were part of the GT Cup Championship, seven races, excuse me, part of the, GT Cup, the GTD Sprint Cup series, and uh, you know they were they were super strong all the way through the year. So I, I was pleased for them to see that they came away with something. Uh,
0: In the Michelin Endurance Cup, in the GTD sheer, uh, it's interim points in the long races at Daytona, Road Atlanta, uh, uh, Road Atlanta and Sebring. No, you didn't get a glitch there. Uh, So good, we did it twice. Um, And therefore, the, the gaps were very, very small indeed. And what we did see was the teams for whom this championship was... A priority uh, t- having to take sometimes some odd strategic decisions, it-, it didn't always work out. And in fact, in the um, second of the road Atlanta races, it certainly didn't work out for the team that finally won the championship. Um, but they came home uh, on top with 44 points for uh, Brian Sellers, Madison Snow, Corey Lewis for the number 48 car, being the uh, Paul Miller racing car, ahead of Cooper McNeil and Jeff Westfall uh, in the Ferrari. They had 35 points small margins but important because they that was a team that wasn't going to be doing the full season so they do get their championship at the end of the year job done tick in the box
1: yeah and, and at first i thought you were talking about riley because it's riley's team that always wins the michelin endurance well, cup hang on a second tables have turned this year has. a very very different story is paul miller racing as you rightly say they came out they won the rolex 24 hours of daytona to begin the year. And then COVID struck and the team was sidelined. Uh, Paul Miller electing, doing the noble thing, actually, not racing while his uh, employees at his dealerships were on furlough. So a very hard decision to take. But again, the team came out with one goal in mind and they were actually only outscored by their fellow Lamborghini team, Magnus Racing, in one segment all year two segments excuse me all year as far as this championship is concerned so they did come out swinging and uh got the job done a 44 to 35 point gap i believe that was the second largest gap of anybody this year as far as the michelin endurance cup was concerned the only other gap that was slightly bigger was an LMP2 where only one driver was going for the championship.
0: Good point, good point. As far as the championship overall is concerned, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, the overall championship if you will Jeremy, uh, let's take a look through that uh, and the end of season standings. I've got believe it or not 61 drivers uh that's or 61 crews rather uh, that uh got points oh, i've got down to 61st position so actually it might be more than that because they don't often double up if you double up. but anyway there was a whole heck of a lot of people uh scored championship points um 36 drivers share tells me uh, got podium uh, positions podium finishes this year in, in gtt um Acura at the top end of the field. Mario Farmbacker and Matt McMurray uh, take it by in the end, just a couple, uh, just a couple of points uh, from Porsche drivers Patrick Long and Ryan Hardrick for Right Motorsport. You've got to say, though that Acura team uh, MSR did a very good job. They marshaled their resources well. They had a good car. They had good driver lineups and the team made sure that they executed what you were talking about earlier on
2: yeah it was, it was just a great season in GTD I mean 11 different podium finishes during the campaign that's pretty remarkable and uh, yeah they, they were consistently good was the accurate team they uh, they thought in the middle of the season they were perhaps going to struggle a bit but uh yeah they came on strong particularly uh, towards the end and you know really uh, the in the middle, in the middle, when I talk about struggling in the middle of the season, that was really mainly because their their lead car, number eighty six car, which was driven full season by Mario Farnbacher and Matt Murray, was taken out uh, in uh, three separate incidents in three consecutive races uh, and moved you know somewhere back in the points from where they were, were looking to, to, to run before that. So uh, it was a really good comeback for them uh, and a deserved championship, no doubt about it. And you know, for Matt Matt Murray, you know, he really came of age this season. Quite literally, of course, because he not only did he turn turn 21, but he he uh, completed his college degree uh, in uh, aerospace engineering, basically, uh, and and then was able to concentrate on becoming a race driver. And after that, he scored his first pole position. Uh, he t- had some poles in LMP2 before, but yeah, I mean, you know, th- th- there was only two or three cars in the class when he did that last year. So this was a well-earned pole position that he scored, uh, Matt McMurray. And, uh, and, you know, he, he just he came of age. We know how good uh, Mario Farnbacher is because he's won championships in the past. And that uh, t- turned out to be a really, really g- good combination and won the championship you know, very handily uh, in, in the end. Not handily in the end, as you say, it was only by two points, but uh, they thoroughly deserved it. Uh, it was a big ask for them to be uh, hunted down but Porsche
0: and Patrick Long and Ryan Hardwick the two full season drivers in that car who finished up second very nearly did it sheer I'm, I'm actually jeremy i have to say um before I leave, Acura, I'm glad you said Matt Murray came of age because that was the, exactly the question I was going to ask. you. Has he come of age as a driver this year? <laughs> and he has, after what three or four seasons uh, uh, on the scene. But I thought he drove very well and very maturely this year. Uh, if, if anything, the the Porsche number 16, the right motorsport car, share were almost in some respect a stealth, uh, a stealth second place because it seemed like we we never talked about them all that much until all of a sudden we were at the end of races and and they were on another podium and, and clocking up another set of, uh, of decent point scores.
1: Well, and and isn't it funny that the bright blue Porsche could still fit its way to the front of the field. Um, Yeah. It's funny when you look back on the results, they were there, thereabouts in Daytona, although only two cars finished on the lead lap. So yeah, finishing fourth or fifth as the two Porsches did in that race was good, but they were still a lap off.
2: It was the yeah, other yeah, endurance that's, that's, races. That was, that was only because of where the leader was. Yeah, there were several cars on the lead lap other than that. They were on they, the lead lap in, terms of in class. The lead lap on GTD were
0: more than that. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Exactly so.
1: it It really was the later endurance races, though, that really saw the right Porsche hit its stride. And the six hour road, Atlanta was the first one. That was the first big podium for the team. Then they go to mid Ohio, which had been a good track for Ryan Hardwick. And we know is a great track for Patrick long in the past. Then another, uh, surprise race was the rain race at Charlotte, where nobody could touch the Turner motorsport BMW, but Wright mm. Was the first of everyone else. They were the ones next up in line and then the fantastic finish at Sebring. So they really did sneak their way to the front of the field, as you say, John, but it's something that I'm going to be looking for next year when there are potentially more Porsches in the field, how is that crew going to do? Because this year they had the privilege of being the only Porsche, and that does tend to be a huge benefit.
0: Well, it could be a ble- blessing or a curse, of course. Uh, Jeremy, when we were talking about the manufacturers, um, you, you mentioned Lexus. Um, Aaron Tielitz finishes up third in the drivers' championship. Jack Hawks with fourth. That was because there was some changing round of the the driver assignments during the year uh, for the the Lexus teams.
2: Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, you know, originally, Aaron Tielitz was was down to drive uh, in the uh, with uh, Townsend Bell and. Uh, Frankie Montecalvo in the other car, uh, and then he, he he was able to turn that into a full-time opportunity, uh, and uh, there was you know, various switching arounds going on there I- among that team during the season. But uh, anyway, Tielitz is a, a very talented driver uh, who perhaps wasn't particularly well known to sports car fans uh, before the last couple of years, but he's he's really come of age and shown uh, how deserving he was of that Great. opportunity, and yeah, he ended up a couple of points ahead of uh, Jack Hawksworth. Uh, and that was uh, purely because uh, they, they were in different cars uh, uh, and he just happened to be in the car that had the, had the most points. Uh, but uh, he, he and Jack Hawksworth were a really good combination. That's going to continue for next year. And, you know, right up until those last couple of races, which were total disasters mm. for the Aim AIMVASA-Sullivan team uh, at race Raceway Laguna Seca and uh, the final, uh, mobile one 12 hours of Sebring, um, other than that, they, they were right in the thick of the championship, and, and in fact led the championship for most of the year. So it was a disappointing end for them, and that's why it was so important for them, I think, to to at least have that spring Cup Championship under their belt at the end of the Good year. Point. But uh, the Lexus, uh, you know, they were super strong all the way through, and uh, it's a shame that the uh, in that the the, the aim part will be separated from Vassar sullivan next season because that was a really really good combination uh but uh, you know i think the team is just going to go from strength to strength. and you know, the willis brothers ian and jeff uh from from canada it was it was a it was really for them logistically very demanding with the COVID 19 mm. difficulties uh in terms of going back and forth between canada and the us so i think you know that just yeah just speaks volumes for the job that they did in bringing that uh, Sprint Cup Championship for the Lexus organisation. Town- Townsend Bell,
0: another one of the Lexus drivers, finished 6th in the championships, again through the vagaries of, of what races were completed and in, uh, and, in and in which cars for the, for the Lexus driver. Between those three Lexus drivers in 3rd, 4th and 6th was the best of the BMW drivers. That was Robbie Foley who finished on 256 points. His... Uh, normal partner in crime, Bill Oberlin, uh, was down in 10th because he had to miss some races. And in fact, because Robbie was doing, um, uh, uh, was, was did all the, the races where Bill, as I said, Bill had to uh, miss the final race of the year because he'd been close to somebody with COVID. And that was where the protocols were working. Uh, the BMW though, share was always, uh, always a factor from Turner Motorsports. And, those guys just do a, a very good job and Bill uh, Bill Obland gets the record this year and some well and one yeah. at least
1: <laughs> he got the record at VIR in a very impressive performance from both he and Robbie Foley and the Turner Motorsport crew doing the double that weekend getting the win in GS in pilot challenge as well as taking the win in GTD and then We were all celebrating Bill getting the record, the driver in sports cars with the most wins. Well, he didn't let us settle on that very long before Charlotte came around the rain race. Robbie drove a brilliant opening stint, has to be said. And Bill got in the car and just went, thank you, goodbye, and then was (laughs) racing GTLM for the rest of the race. So uh, it was quite a season for Turner Motorsport. And even though they don't wind up quite in the championship where they would have wanted to, at least they got those wins.
0: Jeremy, a word about. Bill Oberlin, um, such a, first of all, an enduring career uh, and, and to have, have challenged and have, and have now beaten the, the record as it stood, uh, which it stood for a very long time in circumstances and times nowadays that are very, very different from when he started racing. Um, an extraordinary story there of uh, of being there when it matters and He's always been part of what was the American Le Mans Series, uh, and now IMSA, Since I've been going to the states, he was one. Of, he and his dad were a couple of the first two people I met and sat down and talked to when I came to the states for the first ever
2: Petty Le Mans. And he shows no signs of slowing up or
0: stopping either.
2: No, he doesn't. You are bitterly disappointed to miss out on at Sebring in that final race of the season, uh, no doubt about it. But he he had a very strong campaign. You just look back through his career. As you say, there are 62 wins now in total. Uh, 19 of those came back in the old, the old IMSA GTD, GT days. Um, he, uh, two of them in the US Road Racing Championship, 27 in Rolex Grand Am, five in the ALMS, and now nine in the IMSA World Sports Car Championship. That's over the last uh, six, seven years. So it's been a remarkable career, and uh, you're right. He, you know, he's just he, he's getting better. I mean, he I really is. He is. He, he very very rarely really makes mistakes and that drive uh, that he put together at charlotte was was absolutely astonishing and he just ran rings around everybody no one was even vaguely close to him in gtd or on the roval there and there's awful conditions and that was you know, all about experience and commitment mm-hmm. and 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 consistency as well, because it would have been super easy to make any sort of mistakes, and there was barely a hint of one from Bill Orbelin.
0: And given what we were talking about uh, earlier with how the sport has changed, how balance of performance means that there's not a single manufacturer who are allowed to dominate anymore, his record is going to take some beating, Jeremy. It's going to take
2: some getting anywhere close to. Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine, really. Uh, I think the closest uh, of the current drivers... Uh, was Oliver Gavin on 49. Mm. Unfortunately, he didn't get to, the, to number 50. Uh, and you know, the next closest is is, uh, is Jordan Taylor, actually, back, back wow. with 26. Well, Patrick Long got 27. Uh, but uh, you know, they, they're a long, 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 long way behind. So, yeah, right. it's hard... To, to imagine that record even being approached, I think. A couple
0: of other uh, drives I want to mention uh, in the the points finishes. Best of the Mercedes drivers, Gar Robinson and Lawson Aschenbach. Jeremy, there's a partnership that is developing very nicely indeed. Good to see Lawson Lawson having uh, a full season, which he hasn't always been able to to put together in recent years. Uh, And Gar Robinson, I thought, really improved as the season went
2: on. Yeah, Gar's you know got lots of experience in the Trans Am over 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 recent years. His dad George was an IMSA stalwart back in the '80s, uh, and Gar has has indeed made big 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 strides there. You know, had some you know pretty good qualifying runs with that team and just you know just getting more and more comfortable i think at this sort of level of competition you know they had uh, the team had a couple of podium finishes uh they had uh, lawson had a couple of fastest laps you know the car was always fast and you know, they it wasn't it wasn't a great season certainly by riley motorsports standards but it was a good season and they put themselves into contention on uh, several occasions and i think certainly you're know, one to build from as they move forward
0: Oh, hello, Riley. Nice to hear Riley <laughs> in the background there. Completely agrees uh, with what Jeremy's saying, as he always does, of course. Ninth in the championship standing, share John Potter, and Andy Lally for uh, Lamborghini. Spencer Pumpelli was uh, a couple of places further down because he didn't do uh, all of uh, the same uh, races. Uh, Uh, Another Lamborghini driver. They bracket Bill Orbel in 10th position. Uh, John Potter, Annie Lally, Magnus Racing. Share a a thought about them this year.
1: Uh, They switched over to not run under Magnus Racing for the first time uh, running in partnership with Grasser. So it was Magnus GRT. It got them two podiums, uh, one at Petit Le Mans with a third place finish, and then, of course, the second at Daytona. But this is not the typical year that we expect to see from an Andy Lally-powered car. Uh, So I'm looking for a little bit more of a bounce back in the season to come. But definitely, they closed out this year, and they had more DNFs than we're used to seeing from a Magnus organization. I'm... I'm not entirely sure if that was because of this new partnership I had heard that out of the 15 crew members five were Magnus and 10 were Grasser I think that they've learned their lesson and stepped away from that so we'll see what happens for the future but definitely ninth in the championship is not where we're used to seeing that duo.
0: Uh, and, in fact, that will precipitate a change in uh, machinery for them for for next year um, Anybody else, Jeremy, that you want to pick out i, I 'm not going to go down the the, the the full list there but um with with the time pressure that we have but anybody else you want to pick out that is, uh, is is worthy of a of note that we haven 't talked about uh, Till Bechtel Shimer and Mark Miller didn't do the full season uh, neither did one or two of the others around uh, there uh, thought the WeatherTech car might have perhaps been a little bit further up they were a bit inconsistent through the, uh, the 63 Ferrari
2: Jeremy Particularly, the WeatherTech Ferrari, you know, mm. was 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 super strong. Particularly towards the end of the season, they got a little bit of help from the from the BOP towards the end, and were really really strong. He had the win uh, at uh, the uh, the uh, Motul Petit Le Mans, yeah. uh, and another you know, podium finish after that as well. So they were super strong. It was it was a difficult season for that team. Uh, for some reason, Cooper McNeil decided to concentrate on the. Ferrari Challenge, uh, he, he yes. prioritised that over the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which was slightly odd, uh, particularly when they were they were looking really good at that stage in the season, so missed a couple of races. Uh, then uh, Tony Velander, uh, you know, elected, I presume, not to make all the travel uh, in the uh, the latter part of the season. Coming from Finland is awfully difficult, of course. with I think there the. there were some clashes as well
0: with the uh, with the uh, rearranged calendar, yeah, if I'm honest.
2: Yeah, yeah. But then you know, he didn't even come back for the, for the end of season races either, did he? But uh, yeah, Alessandro Balzan stepped in nicely there, along with, of course, uh, uh, Jeff Westfall, who is a very uh, underrated driver. And, you know, it was was a good, strong season for that Ferrari. And I'm sure we'll see more from Ferrari next season. Hopefully, it'd be even better to have another another Ferrari or two in there because GTD is looking super strong for next season. I think the other car, particularly a couple of cars perhaps are worth mentioning, the, the Team Hardpoint Audi, Initially, was planning on just doing the, the Sprint Cup races, and Rob Ferrell was having such a good time, he decided to do the long, longer-distance races as well. Uh, they uh, came away with a good, strong fifth-place finish at, at, in the finale at Super. That was a really good run for that team. Awesome. Uh, and also, of course, the heart of racing Aston Martin. You know, crowd favourites, uh, and uh, no, no doubt about that. And, you know, the, the car looks great. Uh, It was very well driven by Ian James and Roman De for the whole season with Darren Turner joining in uh, for those three races in the Michelin Endurance Cup later in the year and to finish it off you know with a, with the podium at Sebring uh, and the other, also the, the podium before that uh, on the roval was a, a really strong campaign for that team so great to see Harter racing back Good. in the IMSA tech sports car championship and aston martin too and and i think you know there's going to be some some more involvement there for next year so you know those teams in particular i think were were very, uh, very strong and, and worthy of mentions.
0: Yeah, very, very good point, Jeremy. And I'm pleased you mentioned and heart also, of racing.
2: Also, John, the the, the Compass Racing McLaren yes. was fast, but uh, certainly didn't have any luck during the races. It, it seemed like whatever could go wrong did go wrong. But uh, a good a good toe in the water exercise for that uh, for that team. And uh, hopefully they can build on that in uh, 2021.
0: Shit, anybody else in GTD before we move on to LMP2?
1: I just have to agree with Jeremy on the heart of racing, that crew and that organization. And, and just to add on to it a little bit, if you think back to January, it was supposed to be Roman De Angelis and Alex Ruberis yeah. running the full season. Roman wound up finishing more races than he started. He, I don't think he qualified the car, uh, at least if he did. It, it wasn't very frequent or more than once. So he stepped into a completely different role oh, as a driver than he had expected at the beginning of the year. And he really melded into it well.
0: Yeah, and the point of that was, of course, that Alex Riberos was literally stuck on the other side of the world because uh, of uh, the issues with uh, travelling back from Australasia, which is where he was when the shutdown occurred. Uh, You're listening to a special programme from IMSA Radio and the Radio Show Limited network of channels. It's Shea, Adam, Jeremy Shaw and me, John Hindoff, as we look back on the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, It won't take us quite as long to go through the LMP2 standings Not the biggest of entries for the year, but growing. And I I have to say, Jeremy, I think without the issues that world events brought on us, we we possibly would have seen even more LMP2 cars. The changes that were made to the championship by IMSA did stimulate some interest. And uh, we had a little better season than I think anybody really, when we came back to racing in July, thought we would have had.
2: Uh, yeah, good, agreed. Uh, and, you know, certainly particularly a lot better than, than last season, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, we you know, we had five cars at uh, at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. We had four for the final two races. It was really just the six hours. At Road Atlanta, uh, there were just a couple of cars there, but you know the, it, those four cars we had for the final couple of races put on some tremendous racing, mm-hmm. and it was also good to see that the reliability of those cars was good as well good point. Uh, and uh, you know it was a, it was a really good bounce back season for l m p two and it 's remarkable i think what uh, what is you know, what it 's looking like for next year it would have been a lot better. I think we would have had you know f- at least five cars. Uh, for the whole for the championship whole, yeah. this year. Yeah. Of course, the first race at Daytona wasn't uh, a round of the regular season championship, uh, which was a, you know, a change from uh, from the past year LMP2. And I think it was a good idea. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't really you know, kind of pan out that way because of the, the pandemic that came on after that. Uh, but uh, it was a good, strong year for LMP2 and great to see. I mean, the cars are great. Uh, you know, it's a shame from my perspective they're not uh, allowed to run uh, with... Or against properly against the DPI cars, but you know those are decisions way above my pay pay grade. Uh, but they put on some good racing uh, amongst themselves, even though there weren't that many cars. The competition was really really good, and good drivers in that championship. Uh, not always full
0: season drivers share, which led to us having a massive array of drivers standing on the podium across the year. <laughs> Thirty
1: three zero number of drivers that wow. got a trophy from LMP two at the end of the year. So it was quite um quite a big discrepancy between drivers but then you had certain people like Colin Brown who came in and raced for three different teams across the space of the season and wound up on the podium with three different teams across the space of the season so that in itself was impressive we welcomed era they made a wonderful debut from the first half of the season and then had to step aside after an accident for dwight merriman at le mans left him unable to compete for the remainder of the season but there was only one driver in lmp2 who ran every single race but that you can't take away from the performance the growth and the exuberance that we saw out of our LMP2 champion.
0: Patrick Kelly, uh, the man that uh, she is talking about, Jeremy.
2: Yes indeed but, but he didn't he didn't did not take part at the Rolex 24 I, Daytona of course yes. uh, so actually nobody competed at all of the races he right. he only did all, he only did all of the point scoring races <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right
0: absolutely right uh, Shares right though you can only race who's there and whenever he was in the car and particularly whenever he got out of the car and spoke to us uh, or we saw him Um, particularly after qualifying, the enthusiasm and the exuberance that was just flooding
2: out of him was a delight, Jeremy, to behold. It was brilliant, yeah. And, you know, he's been out of racing for a long, long time. He had one start last season. Before that, it had been 10 years since he he did some some races in the... uh in the G- Porsche G3 Cup, actually, way, way back uh, and did quite well then. But then he had a, a pretty useful career to to concentrate on. So he's just come back now and he's, you know he's been an absolute revelation. Every time he's qualified that car in LMP2, in he's put it on pole position. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's not up against the fastest cars at that st- or fastest drivers, I should say, at that stage. But he did a great job. Uh, and, you know, whenever uh, he, after qualifying the car, he just romped away into the distance. Uh, and left all the other gentlemen drivers far, far behind. So you know, hats off to Patrick Kelly for that. And Simon Trummer, who didn't take part in the the first restart race, if you like, at, at Sebring, which is the first round of the point scoring championship. Uh, Simon at least did uh, concentrate on the uh, Michelin Endurance Cup, and he ended up with the driver's championship in the Michelin Endurance Cup, where Patrick Kelly uh, had it for the uh, IMSA Tech Sports Car Championship. But it was a great season for PR1 Matheson Motorsports in that number 52 car. And, uh, you know, they will look back to this season uh, with you know, some regrets that there weren't wasn't more competition from time to time. And it was looking really good. I mean, they started off the year running running two cars and were hoping to do so for the full campaign. But still, it was a great season for that team.
0: Uh, Scott Huffaker in third position on his own in the overall driver's standing ship.
1: And Scott really had one of those seasons where you went from knowing his name from support series to knowing his name properly. And it was one of those uh, funny things at the uh, award-giving ceremony because it it wasn't really – an end-of-season banquet championship celebration as it was. Scott got called up to get the third-place trophy, and he looked a bit shell-shocked because he wasn't even expecting it. But a really good performance from him, especially when you consider he raced three races all year and won two of them, two of them being pretty darn big endurance races. So a really good year for Scott Huffaker and a really good billboard audition as to what he can do for the future.
0: Kyle Tilley and Dwight. Uh, sorry, uh, John Ferrano in fourth position, uh, Jeremy, ahead of Kyle Tilley and Dwight Merriman uh, in fifth position. Again, maybe names that people um, haven't seen too much of outside of the support categories in the past. But good to see them uh, getting behind the wheel of these very, very quick prototypes
2: this year and, and getting uh, decent finishes at various stages. Yeah, you know, great to see Starworks name back again in conjunction yes. with Tower Motorsports. So that's uh, that's John Ferrano, uh, the Canadian veteran Canadian driver. Good to see him back in his championship. He made some starts here many, quite a few years ago. Uh, also had some success in the Michelin, what, what is now the Mission Pilot Challenge some years ago as well. So, you know, he had a good, good, strong comeback. He's been racing also in Europe. And then, as you say, for the, the era motorsport team with Dwight Merriman, Dwight Merriman and Carl Tilly, they're on the podium every time they started. So a good, you know, good, uh, good start for them. And they're going to be back for, for more next year. Some other standout drivers during the year, no question. Uh, Mikkel Jensen yes. from uh, mm. Denmark, when he got a chance to drive the Tamos, the, the, uh, what's by Starworks Star Wars entry, kind of rate in the last couple of races or two, two of the last three races. Uh, he was very, very impressive. And um, I think, uh, you know, uh, job van van Aultet as well who who drove that car at uh, at uh, the Petit Le Mans race yeah he he was outstanding as well and david Heinemeyer hansen was was back again for the series finale uh, in that uh, that timeo sports team and uh, it was good to see david back he 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 raced uh, at daytona The only other time he sat in a race car all season was was at Daytona. He was super fast, you know, for for a gentleman driver. And um, actually, was was conversing with David. Uh, I think that might be he reckons that might be his last ever pro race, which is a shame. Really? Because uh, yeah. He's, he just, he's, got, he's got all sorts of things going on in, in his life, and you know, he's, 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 uh, he's been there and done that, I think, you know, on the racing side of things. But tell you what, he did a super job in that car, particularly at that final race of the year.
0: Uh, good to see Cameron Castles jumping into a, a, a prototype as, as well, Shane. He didn't disgrace himself when he was out on the track.
1: No, definitely not. And Cameron was somebody that we were actually expecting to see full season. And then because of travel restrictions with Canada uh, getting more and more strict, He elected not to do as much of the traveling and and basically spend more time at home and with his family in Alberta. So Cameron is one of those names we're used to seeing at the top of the charts for LMP2, at at the very least troubling for the championship. So he's somebody that I look forward to seeing back next year. And just a a little shout out to Gustavo Mnezes. We Mm -hmm. only saw him at the race at Sebring this year. Led across the start-finish line, but then a disqualification after the race. But what a drive from Gustavo when he got into that LMP2 car for the first time this year. Uh,
0: let's move on to GT Le Mans. It's Jeremy, Sean, Shea, Adam, uh, joining me, John Hindhoff. Uh, I I don't really know what to say about GT Le Mans. We get great racing in it. I love the factory cars. It, it works so very well, particularly in, in GT E-AM, in the European and World Championship at Series. And at Le Mans, it was, I think, the biggest... It might have actually been the biggest class this year, uh, or very close to it, against LMP2. It It struggles in... IMSA racing uh, Porsche. I mean, it, in, in GT Le Mans, it, uh, Jeremy, it was a uh, a little bit of a, a farewell season because we're waving bye bye to Porsche, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, we said hello to a new car for Corvette uh, and Chevrolet, of which more in a moment. But uh, as we intimated earlier on, Ollie Gavin uh, made his last start for them at uh, at Sebring uh, in. Uh, in the uh, the twelve hours, Ferrari only turned up at uh, Daytona. Um, I, I don't even know what. Well, we're not going to say anything about next year. That we'll we'll do that in a preview. And yet, all of that said, we when it was hot, it was absolutely boiling hot, and the spread of perf- the performance spread was negligible. Every Car, not every manufacturer, every car, I think,
2: got a win this year. Yeah, that's right. There were only six full-time entries. Uh, well, that's if you include uh, core Auto Sport and the Porsche GT team not t- turning up at uh, at Charlotte because of the excuse. Um, it wasn't Charlotte, was it? It was Mid Ohio, uh, as a result of the, ah, the team having been exposed to COVID at, at COVID Le Mans. Uh, at mm-hmm. Le Mans. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, finally, the, the, the Porsche had a. Pretty much a dismal year. I mean, th- those cars were fast all the way through. Uh, they they uh, they had uh, four pole positions in the first six races. Couldn't convert any of them into into a win. And then finally, towards the end of the season, it all came good for them, and they had uh, three wins in a row to round out the season. Uh, but uh, yeah, it really was honors shared in GTLM all the way through the year. You know, Corvette got the, the lion's share, but uh, but Porsche came through with those with those. You know, final couple of wins in the end there in the long distance races. That was great for them. Uh, and also BMW had some success as well, w- w- claiming the Michelin Endurance Cup through Jesse Crowan and John Edwards. That was well earned. They they, they kind of focused on that. They had a uh, some all sorts of ups and downs. as That BMW team RLL mm. team seems to do. But at least did come away with a win. Each of the cars came away with a win, and that and that championship as well. So uh, it was really on the shared all the way around. Great season, really. Not many cars, but some. Fantastic racing. The old adage of his only takes two cars
0: to make a race. Um, absolutely uh, borne out in GT Le Mans. 50 and 41 for BMW, Porsche, and Chevrolet Corvette in the Endurance Cup. As Jeremy said, it was John Edwards and Jesse Cron uh, for BMW. Team RLL ahead of uh, Fred McAvecki, Nick Tandy, Augusta Farfus on his own in third again because of the machinations of driver changes throughout the year. He was only at point further away in third uh, position in the Endurance Cup. I, I said at, I think that was at Silverstone, I did an interview share with uh, with Nick Tandy during the year, uh, which was going into the, the Pikes Peak programme that I was doing for, for, for Haggerty. And I said, you know, score your season so far. And he said, you know, probably an A or an A minus in terms of pace but uh, it's got to be a C in terms of scoring points because as Jeremy said they did have the pace some of it their own making but you know puncture at VIR definitely cost them a victory there an odd season for Porsche in the season when they were A defending their championship and B wanting to make a splash before we knew quite early on in the year that it was going to be their last
1: Yeah, four out of 11 races where Porsche wasn't on the GTLM podium. I I can't remember the last time we had such a high percentage rate of that. And of course, we will in the future when they're not competing. Um, But it, it started out so well for Porsche. Looking back at Daytona, double podium, then resuming things once we'd found out that the program was going to be ending at the end of the year. Again, double podium at the short race in Daytona. They got a podium at Sebring for the short race there. And then Road America came in the rain, came and both cars DNFing in that race uh, right at the end of things as well. It started to slip away at that point in time. And as far as Porsche is concerned, it was pretty even across the board as far as performances from all four of their full season drivers. There wasn't an obvious flaw in anything. It just really was bad luck. And we've had other GTLM teams with no luck for a couple of years. They made it through. This was just Porsche's down year. Uh,
2: well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, there were a lot of mistakes, weren't there, on there the were. driver's side, particularly in the latter part of the season there. Yeah. Uh, they had some bad luck, for sure, but uh, there were a lot more driver errors than would, uh, than would one would generally expect from that uh, super driver lineup. I, I, maybe... Just particularly a nine twelve car.
0: Yeah, maybe it just speaks yeah. to the you know how competitive it, it all is and how under the pump everybody is as a works yeah. driver. And frankly, that's as it should be, of course, yeah. because nobody should be taking it for granted. At the start of the year, we were talking about the potential controversy of having a mid-engine Corvette, uh, and <laughs> what that was doing, uh, Jeremy, to the. Corvette conycenti and how much they might be up in arms, and I think all of us said pretty early on, "Listen, if it starts winning, um, this will all go quiet very quickly." Well, heavens above, <laughs> I literally said something I shouldn't there. Um, they came back to racing in the best possible way. Saturday the 4th of July, Corvette Racing clocked its 100th North American uh, race victory. And from then on, they went on a tear. And and what was interesting for me, Jeremy, it wasn't just that it was their team. It was in particular Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor, who basically just swept, for the most part, the, everything else aside that was a super restart and then run to the end of the season from them. I mean, Sebring and Road Atlanta, um, the first Road Atlanta, I think, were their worst two scores uh, in in that run to the eventual Drivers' Championship winning team.
2: Yeah, it was a great season for them, and yeah, the uh, the uh, the Corvary perhaps uh, so you know, it, it looks more like a <laughs> i love it <laughs> it's 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 but it is a stunning looking car i mean it really is a great looking car and it was driven absolutely brilliantly by that pair now, they weren't always the fastest car certainly uh not until the the end perhaps at the end of the season you know, they've really got a handle on that car which is it was a it was a remarkable effort by that team really with it, the fact that it was its first full season and to come out and uh, and show such dominance in the middle part of the season and it wasn't just the speed, it was, uh, it was just the job that those two drivers in particular did, Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor. If there was anything ever g- going to go wrong there, it seemed like it was going to be Oliver Gavin and Tommy Milner who had the, the brunt of things mm. going, going wrong. But uh, Garcia and Taylor, they were absolutely superb and you ended up convincing champions and deservedly so. You know, more poles, you, know, you name it, they had more of than anybody else uh, and made precious few mistakes. Uh, Ollie
0: Gavin didn't finish the way he would have wanted to, uh, not in the season as a whole, and certainly not at uh, the one one 12 hours of Sebring, Shea. But I mean, again, you know, what a servant. Uh, what, uh, for, you know, for a very English Englishman, um, <laughs> originating from Cambridgeshire, living in Northamptonshire now, actually a, a, a stone's throw away, at least a gentle jog for for Ollie, who's a marathon runner par excellence, from the man he'll take off from him, who is going to be Nick Tandy, um, is uh, is uh, I mean I, I don't know what to say about Ollie. He's had a great career.
1: He has. He's left boots that, as Jeremy mentioned in GTD, they can't be filled. Um, his accomplishments are. Close to that of Bill Oberlin, but in terms of what he has been able to do as an Englishman making an impact in the U.S., it's remarkable. And if you look back at the last couple of seasons for Ollie and Tommy in particular, basically going back to their last championship winning season, which was 2016 for the duo, they would be thrilled at the beginning of the year if you had offered them a win and three other podium trips because it had been such a long drought. They did have the races that were difficult. They had the races that were wonderful too, though. And to be able to get a win at Sebring in the the sprint race, albeit, but still a win in the C8R, to leave his mark on that too, he's going to be missed widely in the paddock.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Shay. And uh, with with Ollie not not being part of the uh, long-distance races, at least in this country for next year, which we we, – we were quite. Well, I was surprised to see that, mm. certainly. But uh, that will leave just Antonio Garcia and John Edwards as the only drivers who've taken part in all 76 uh, GTLM races since the formation of the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in 2014.
0: Uh, uh, looking down the uh, rest of the championship standings in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for GT Le Mans, it was John Edwards and Jesse Krohn who claimed second Place for BMW RLL again. We know their uh, future is somewhat uncertain for 2021. We keep our fingers crossed for them. Uh, um, not a bad season for Bobby Rahal's team, Jeremy. They they had their their moments. Um, split up a little more between the two crews. There wasn't a, as much of a, a dominance between one of the two BMW crews as there was with the with the Corvette.
2: No, that's right. And uh, yeah, for 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 uh, for Jesse Krohn and John Edwards to come away with second place overall in the championship certainly is a is a good result for them. You know, the season started off superbly with a very impressive win at uh, the Rolex Twenty Four Daytona, and of course it finished well with uh, winning the uh, the Michelin Endurance Cup as well. So uh, there there was it was an up and down season, as you say, not the consistency Mm. that they would like, but a good solid campaign and some results to show for it.
0: Yeah. uh... Oli Gavin and Tommy Milner, third in the championship, scant reward uh, for them. Then, then Conor De Filippi and Bruno Spengler. I thought Conor drove really well, and I thought Bruno drove, drove really well this year. Cher. And as, as Jeremy said, it, it seemed that the BMWs couldn't um, either, as a uh, certainly as individual squads, couldn't seem to get momentum. One of the BMWs was normally pretty good. It wasn't always the same one
1: yeah well there were six trips to the podium for the number 24 bmw there were one two three four trips to the podium for the sister car but it was very rarely on the same race weekend uh so you're right one car seemed to flourish while the other struggled a little bit but in terms of driver performances from the bmw team there were only three weekends where conor felipe was not the fastest of all the bmw crew just let that sink in for a minute. He really did have a standout season. So when you look back at the numbers, perhaps the results don't necessarily reflect some of the performances that we saw. That would be a prime example.
0: So uh, a championship for Chevrolet and uh, Corvette racing ahead of BMW and Porsche in the manufacturers. Uh, 16 points the gap there. I think one of the biggest Gaps in the drivers of the whole year. 3.51, 3.19 for Garcia and Jordan Taylor over John Edwards and Jesse Krohn. Uh And uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. I really like the GT uh, Le Mans cars and I really hope that we get something sorted out because I, I do think that uh, our lives will be slightly less enriched if we don't have uh, those cars Uh, in the championship uh, and a a good battle between those cars in the championship uh, as we go forward. Uh, It's a special programme from IMSA Radio and broadcast across RS1, RS2 and RS3 as we're looking back at the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for 2021. Share Adam and Jeremy Shaw with me, John Heindorf. And so we arrive slightly breathless but still excited and expectant, I hope, uh, for all of you as well at the top class a Prototype International, DPI, a championship where the three manufacturers uh, were separated uh, by pff, nothing at all, uh, to be honest. Eight points from top to bottom. Acura win from Cadillac with Mazda in third position uh, in the top championship. Uh, and as far as the Endurance Cup uh, is concerned, uh, it was Cadillac from Acura, from Mazda uh, in that particular championship. Let, let's take the long distance races first, as we have been uh, doing for that. Uh, Cadillac, Jeremy, have really, let's be honest, they embraced DPI right from the start. They've got the most cars out there. They've had the most success in, in this formula taken uh Almost exactly half of the wins since DPI came in. Uh, they win the Endurance Cup with Ryan Briscoe and Renger van der Zander. Um, and yet they will still think that that was a season where certain things got away from them, particularly that, those two
2: drivers. Yeah, you know, the, in terms of the, the Michelin Endurance Cup, uh, that's, that's been the domain of Action Express racing uh, over the years. Well, uh, the, the tables were very much turned there because it was the Conak Minolta Cadillac team number 10 that came away with a pretty convincing championship at the end of the day for Ryan Briscoe and Rega van der Zender and the drivers in the, uh, in the overall championship and the team, uh, of course, as well. Uh, but it was, it was a good, good year for them. Uh, for for their for for them you know, a well deserved win in that Michelin Endurance Cup. You know they just had the consistency that uh, that some of the other teams or, or and or manufacturers lacked.
0: And uh, the long distance races share uh, we expect the prototypes to look good and to give us plenty of excitement in the endurance races and they did but frankly I think this year was one of the best we've seen in terms of the battles out on the track Um, sometimes got a little over exuberant and we'll we'll talk about that uh, in a wee while but um, all in all a good season for DPI
1: you want to talk about how good of a season it was and, and especially with the endurance races for DPI the mileage covered at Daytona this year 2,965 miles the second most that we've had was 2,876 miles in 2018 that season total for dpi we did just over 7300 miles this year we did 7500 miles we got way more bang for our buck if you're (laughs) calling it that way
0: yeah with with one one fewer races yeah
1: Exactly, Jeremy. That was my point. So we got way more entertainment out of that class in particular than we were even expecting. Mm.
2: Uh, yeah, of course, you know, the the, the fact that the, the mileage has been, the the, 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 the the distance records have been beaten at Daytona, of course, uh, perhaps as a result, you could certainly say, of the fact there's fewer cars than there used to be. Yeah. You know, there are a lot more, more cars. Yeah, early on. But uh, but the quality of the racing, I agree, has been absolutely superb.
0: And stand up and take it by Michelin as well, our tyre supplier right across the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship because with a, a season now under their belts, all of the manufacturers and teams have been working uh, with Michelin. They've certainly got the, the best out of the tyres. And the lap times that, that we were seeing, um, were extraordinary uh, in in the last couple of seasons jeremy and again this year quite a few lap records going and when we compare those to and i still have people who for me unfathomably say yeah but those dpis they, they're just a you know they're a bit of a tarted up um lmp2 car And lmp2s aren't proper prototypes lmp1s they used to be and and when you look at the power that those cars had, how much the cost to develop and run, and the and the amount of people who were there running them against the DPI, nothing cheap in motorsport, but in in. Bang for the buck, as, as Shea was saying. A, an extraordinarily different proposition. And yet the lap times getting closer and closer to those halcyon days, as some people would have us believe, <laughs> of, of the Audis and the full-fat, you know, 11, 1200 horsepower diesel Peugeots when they would, would come over. I, I thought was a stunning season. And, and surely nobody can look at a DPI now and say that's not a proper prototype. That's not a proper race car.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you there, 100%. And, you know, the, the, the lap times are achieving now on a fraction of the cost of those old, uh, particularly the old diesel prototypes. But, you know, I mean, costs were really ridiculous back then in, in current terms. Um, and uh, and know, with tyre regulations are, that, that,
0: that yeah. restrict tyre usage as well, narrower tyres, uh, far less downforce, and everything. Yeah. It's, it's you know, extraordinary. The, cars,
2: the car, yeah, the cars could go a lot faster if you wanted them to, uh, but of course, the faster you go, the more it costs. Yeah. And I think that's why you know, the Wear Tech Sports Car Championship is, is has really hit the nail on the head. You know, I think we could be looking, we would be looking at more growth over the next couple of years, if not for the uh, COVID pandemic that's come in this year that certainly cur- curtailed a few plans but uh, but the, the quality of the racing and the value for money that it does provide is is absolutely superb i think and and that shows in the quality of the racing that we've seen sure uh, one of my
1: friends actually it's funny that you guys mentioned that has a poster of the acura uh excuse me of the team penske porsche up oh, in yeah. his garage the spy we were yeah. talking yeah, the Spider. We were talking about that the other day, and he was saying, oh, yeah, that was the good old days, back when the race cars were really fast. So then I looked up the fast lap of the Acura Team Penske race car this year, which was eight tenths faster than that Porsche <laughs> Spider for a fraction of the cost, and said, which you track might want a new. Uh, that was at uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta for right. Petit Le Mans versus 2008 versus 2020. Uh, and I said, you might want a new Penske poster.
0: Wow. Wow, that, that's that's a great that's a great start. As far as the championship uh, was uh, concerned, Jeremy, I, I mean, the the numbers, uh, the championship standings tell quite a lot of the story. Um, with people, Durrani, in fourth position, only at the end of the day seven points away from Ricky Taylor, and Elio Crasto Neves, who won the championship. Uh, and between that, there was two other cruz who were separated by nothing at all and the points gap between uh, first and second was only a point of course at the end of the season before we get into that there was some controversy towards the end of the season with with drivers making contact with each other and with um Scores, it would seem, being settled on the track and and that's not something
2: that any of us like to see. Not good. No, not good. It, it certainly put a damp on it, I think, uh, from some respects. But uh, it was a tremendous season of racing. And, you know, as you say, just one point uh, from first to second in the championship, that could have gone either way. And, you know, all four of those teams had a chance. Yes. Uh, conceivably, well, actually, no, three, three of them had an opportunity, a chance to win the championship going into the final round. Uh, that's remarkable in itself. Uh, in manufacturers, again, that was decided by just one point as well. You know, whichever of uh, Acura or Cadillac finished ahead of the other in the final race that was going to win the championship and that's exactly what you want to see at the end of any long long season of racing so from that point of view it was superb but we certainly could have done without those incidents uh and uh, I think for the number 31 team from from my money uh they probably should have won the championship yeah. and it was really only the result of Piper Durrani's uh, head overtaking his heart that cost him a chance of winning the overall championship.
0: We mused on this and uh, relatively recently talking to Renga van der Zander about this, that uh, people... Not mixing as much as they would do in the paddock might have had uh, an unwitting part to play here and, and and anything I say now is is neither disrespectful nor critical of of any of the people involved because it was circumstances that that came together share you know we 've talked in the past about what a collegiate Atmosphere we have in the Imza paddock, and with everybody in their own bubbles this year, to a certain extent, uh, that that wasn't there, and that allowed one or two one or two situations to get overheated.
1: To put it into perspective for people who don't get the privilege and the honour of, of eating at Marion's, <laughs> all but one team in dpi eats with marion so if you have a score to settle you grab your cup of coffee you grab your Mm -hmm. plate of breakfast and you go sit down next to the person and have a discussion with them it's very much an open concept uh sort of place where you can make deals for next year without people thinking well i wonder why he's sitting with him it's a friendly, open cafeteria style where you're not judged by who you sit with, mm. and the fact that we didn't get that opportunity this year outside of Daytona to discuss, hey, how's how's your life going? How's your wife and kids? By the way, when you cut me off last race, I don't appreciate that. Yes. I'll remember it, but can we? Uh, uh, can I get can you another cup of coffee? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I? Can nope. I get, don't. Don't mind that spit in the top, right? yeah. <laughs> that's not not at all bitter. But it's, it's true. We we missed out on that, and we did see more tempers flaring and and more tension between drivers that we don't normally get that sort of experience from because most of those drivers are the kind of people to confront you while you're waiting in line for pasta.
0: Yeah, agree. Uh, I don't disagree uh, at all uh, with that. Uh, we, we have a. Uh, um, uh... We have a regime, Jeremy, in, in Imza, And again, I'll say this. I, 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 this is no criticism in, in meant or implied here. We have a regime in terms of the race officiating that has been for a long time under Bo Barfield, who I have a huge amount of respect for, particularly with the way that uh, he gives access to us and, and other broadcasters, that very much is race the way you want to be raced, which for the most part has worked, This year, maybe it didn't, and maybe that, particularly with some of the comments that drivers and and people, Durrani was one of these, actually said after Petit, right, um, we're always told race the way you want to be raced. If that was okay, then I know what I can do in the future. And then in his mind, he only did what had been done to him. And that maybe could have, should have been jumped on a bit earlier. I don't know. It's
2: a tough one. It is a tough one, uh, certainly, and you know, and you know, the way Bo Barfield runs races is, is you know, widely respected. I think I uh, generally, uh, and uh, you know, it, it certainly is from my perspective. I think it does, as you, as you say, it does a fantastic job. And uh, I think, yeah, I think so, somebody should have sat down there. It was it was particularly people Darani that, that that got out of hand there. Yeah, you know, there was a couple of incidents they had at uh, at Mission Raceway Road, Atlanta, between, between himself and Ricky Taylor. Uh, there was yeah one clean pass and one not clean pass and yeah there's certainly two two ways to look at look at the the second incident that happened there the one that put uh, Durani in the wall mm. uh, and effectively out of contention. Uh, at, uh, at Michelin Raceway. But uh, the way he uh, overreacted at, at Sebring after that was just completely out of line in my book. And- there, there
0: was there was another incident at, at WeatherTech Raceway, L- Laguna Sega as well, between the same two cars, True. although not with, with people in the car. That was with the teammates in the car, which kind of suggested to me that that wasn't done and dusted. And that was the point when I thought, uh-oh, This could really get out of hand. And in, Mm. I mean, we we talked about it in commentary at Sebring. I can absolutely see what's going to happen here. This is going to end up with one or both of these cars in the, oh. And it, it almost did happen like that. The, the way Bo looks after the drivers, and I, and I use those words properly, looks after the drivers. He's, he yeah. was a, 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 a very decent racer himself, so he knows all about the psyche of, of, the, of the racing driver. The way he does it relies to a certain extent, Jeremy, on the drivers having respect for one another. When that respect goes to animosity, that's where the danger for my money lies
2: agreed uh, and you know there's very few drivers i think in the paddock who were kind of as hot-headed as, as people was and mm. uh, he, 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 you know the, the other guys uh, most of them are, you know they're willing to put things behind it but it was a it was a combination of things he just felt he was being he was being uh, wrong had, had been wrong yes. uh, and no one was standing up for him so he took the law into his own hands which of course in a racing car is exactly the last thing you should be doing but you know uh, aside from that the the, the racing between them all the way through the year was, was pretty darn good. And it, it is a shame. Yeah, that's one of the problems you have with sports car racing. You, you don't do those sort of things in open-wheel cars. Um, and you know, all virtually all of these drivers have open-wheel experience. Some of them seem to remember it a bit more than others. <laughs> yes. uh, I think mean, that's what it boils down to.
0: At the end of the season, uh, Ricky Taylor and Elio Castro Neves, uh, whatever their... Um, uh, their indiscretions over the years, came out on top of the championship, as did Acura uh, by a point in the overall uh, championship. Um, Ricky developing share, oh, not developing, has developed in the last few years into a, a very, very good driver in anything that he jumps into. And he's he's now one of, I mean, he, he's he's the guy who you want on your team. You, you would look at, at his, results uh, in a variety of cars and classes over the the last half dozen years and say, yeah, he's one of the the top four or five drivers in the championship.
1: Completely agree. He's someone that you always know is going to be fighting for a pole position. If he's starting the race, uh, he'll be there driving away from the pack at the beginning. Or if he's finishing the race, he'll be fighting through the field to get to the front of the class. Uh, After Daytona, the incident between Elio Castroneves and Harry Tinknell that happened in the bus stop fairly early on in the race, yes. took that car out. We were thinking, oh man, well, you know, they can still bounce back. We've, we've got a long way to go. Then at the resumption of things, again at Daytona, that car had a DNF. We're going, uh-oh. Then we go to Sebring, the car finishes second to last. We're thinking, uh-oh. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they win three races in a row, finish second, win another race. It it wound up being a really surprisingly good season, but I have to give credit. This championship would not belong to Ricky Taylor and Elio Castronevas if Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya had not moved aside at Laguna Seca on the last lap because that was a three point difference. And they won this championship by
0: one. Yeah, and we talked about that at the time, Jeremy. It is a team game. I've seen world championships not go the, the way they should have done because teams or manufacturers have, have not played that game. That is the Penske way. The big picture was being looked at. Ricky and Elio Castro Neves, who has a smile on his face, it seems, uh, all of the time, turn out as champions. Worthy champions for you?
2: Uh, very much so. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think uh, certainly your know, Acura deserved it. That was the that was that was the fastest car uh, on a regular basis through the season. Uh, we look at the in, in qualifying. You know, they were peerless, pretty much in, in qualifying uh, on pole position more often than than not. Uh, but it was a, as you as you say, the bizarre season for that team. I mean, you know, four wins. Uh, three last place finishes, one second and one second to last. I mean, nothing in the middle at all. Uh, So, you know, gosh, and and they come away with the championship by one, a single point. you just, just amazing. You couldn't write that script uh, and not be laughed off the park, but uh, you know, they they were fast and, you know, they, they, they definitely deserved the championship. Yeah. the, The, the the team I think that had the most bad luck were, were ironically their teammates, you Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya. As Shay was saying, yeah, they were super fast, a whole string of pole positions there, and know, um, yeah, and just nothing seemed to go their way, uh, and ended up you know sixth in the points table.
0: Second place, was, uh, sorry Jeremy, go ahead.
2: Not you know not what they deserved you, finally. They, they got a second place in, in, in the last couple of races, but uh, and it, one of them sh- should have been by rights the win if they hadn't elected quite wisely, as Shea says, to to hand it to their teammates. So, uh, the, certainly Akra Team Penske, that was the team to beat this year and I think deserving champions. Uh,
0: Wayne Taylor Racing, Cunningham and Alda Cadillac in second with Rengar Fontesander and Ryan Briscoe by that single point. Um, is there a race where that team, those drivers, will be looking to say, ah, if only we'd had that one extra position finish, if only we'd had... Or did they do what they could with what they had, Jeremy?
2: Uh, they, they did, and and the answer to that is yes. You know, there's a couple of races that uh, things could have... If, if things had gone their way just a little bit better, then they would have been ended up at the, as the champions, of course. Um, Two but, big wins uh, on
0: the season in in, yeah. in the endurance races at Daytona. So they got the watches and then again at uh, Motul Petit-Lemont.
2: Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, and the uh, the Michelin Endurance Cup as well yeah, for true. that team. So, yeah, it, it wasn't a lost year, but it was certainly one that kind of got away from them uh, there. Uh, in that uh, the final couple of races because you know, the, the last two races, they were sixth and seventh and just you know, mm. one fourth base finish out of those two would have been enough to win the championship for them. Uh,
0: not sure what Ryan's doing next year. Renga stays with Cadillac in the returning uh, return to IMSA for Chip Ganassi Racing. I'm very pleased for the affable Dutchman. That will be, I'm pretty certain, they'll hit the ground um, not just running, but at a sprint that would do you see Bolt, uh, Proud uh, in third position. That's what we look forward to. Third position, the best of the Mazdas with Jonathan Bommerino and Harry Tinknell uh, with Mazda's first endurance IMSA win uh, in the final race of the year. Share uh, that team and and Mazda as a whole.
1: They did get the 6 hour win at the Glen last year but that was a race where if it had been 6 hours and 3 minutes neither car ah, probably would have finished they were yep. both struggling whereas at Sebring that was definitive mm. and John you're you're right people view the Sebring 12 hour almost on a different level. It It is on par with Daytona and Le Mans. So that win really set the car on a, a different scale. But the win that sticks out to me was the one when we got things back going again in July, the 4th of July weekend, Harry Tinkham and Jonathan Balmerito with a great performance back at Daytona. And it really did set them up on a better scale because they've got two sixth place finishes, two fifth place finishes, two fourth place finishes, And then the other finishes were all on the podium. So it wasn't a great season across the board, but there was enough of a window opened up for them that they were able to sort of sneak through and get ahead of Pippo Durrani for that third place in the championship.
0: Last year, Jeremy, we had that extraordinary summer of Mazda where they took win after win. Uh, They weren't able to do that uh, this year. We wondered if 2020 would be a breakout season for the Mazda operation, a little bit more consistency with Multimatic taking it on as, uh, as an entirety. They'd been pretty well involved uh, before that, of course, but they took it on in its entirety. And, and there were flashes of, uh, if not brilliance, certainly of, of the performance potential that we know that car has got
2: very much so. I think the team would be disappointed actually looking back on this uh, campaign uh, you know third in the points table is is pretty good certainly uh, but uh, it could have been so much uh, so much better I think and uh, for me uh, there are a few strategic mistakes they made during the season, which I, I, I found uh, very surprising. They certainly had a lot of bad luck as well, um, and it could have been even better for, better for them. But, uh, you know, at least they do come away uh, with uh, those couple of wins um, and third place in the championship. So it could have been a lot worse. And you know, it's just, you know, it, it's... Uh, was that their best chance to win a championship? Yeah, oh, it probably was, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't take it next year. Of course, they're going to be down to one car, which is really, really, really disappointing from, from my perspective.
0: Up against the might of Penske, you might say that everybody else, Penske with two cars and uh, uh, and uh, a, an exclusive uh, with the car that they're running. How very Roger Penske is that? And well, well negotiated. Again, no criticism um, implied there, uh, Next year the Acuras are in quote unquote private hands, but Chip Canassi comes back uh, and they don't come to make the numbers up as well. So yeah, an interesting one that with just with just one car. One of the other things that I thought was a um, a real fillip for the championship this year, Jeremy, was the quality of the other drivers that came in uh, to the championship uh, in. In actually in for all of the manufacturers uh, and teams. Uh, you know, we, we had Scott Dixon, uh, we had Simon Paeau, we had uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, we had Alex Rossi and 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 I know those guys, you know those guys are racers. they've all got quote unquote "day jobs." Uh, and they came and they competed, and they seemed to enjoy themselves.
2: Yeah, very much so. And, you know, Dixie uh, could have had three three wins from three three starts, couldn't he? You know, unfortunately, it all went wrong uh, at Sebring towards uh, you know, the latter stages there because they were looking very much pretty much in control of that race for a long 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 period of time. Um, so yeah, he he was great. You know, Ryan Hunter, super to see Ryan. Uh, in victory lane, there at the at that final round, he really deserved that. He's been a, a very good addition to that Multimatic Motorsports Mazda team. And uh, as you say, yeah, all of the drivers there that, that came in from time to time were were you know were, were very very strong. It was it was a good season in prototypes, no question. Uh,
0: and I'd only plot that list as well in case anybody thinks I'm I'm leaving him out. Um, one or two of the teams share. Um, had more difficult seasons than the others. Obviously, Steve Simpson uh, and and Chris Miller, uh, uh, those guys uh, and that team, in fact, um, they had an up and down year as well.
1: Yeah, JDC Miller Motorsport this year, uh, not with a stable driver lineup in the banana boat, um, which ran under a couple different liveries. It, It housed multiple different drivers uh, over the course of the year it was a difficult year for them but they also were trying to run the uh, mustang sampling cadillac this year and it started out well for the five crew but then things started to settle in and you've got to expect that when you're going from an organization like action express a team that's had the cadillac dpi since the very beginning embers of the phoenix rising it it was a different season for them where they weren't competing for the race wins and when they were there at the end of the race they were clawing for a third or a fourth or a fifth place finish so it is going to be a different season next year we'll see where the teams come back who comes back where how, how everything plays out but we do know that after this year Sebastian Bourdais, who was the only full-time driver of that number five the Mustang sampling Cadillac he's not coming back next year
0: is it getting more and more difficult, Jeremy, for a, a team like JDC to be able to compete with, you know, behemoths like uh, Pensky or perhaps Chip Chip Ganassi and and a, a work supported multi-manic Mazda team?
2: It is. Yeah, they, they, I mean the the JDC. Yeah, for, it's, it's a relatively small team, certainly compared to to, to the other organisations like uh, Penske or Multimatic or, or Ganassi, uh, completely different level. Uh, and, you know, they're fighting above their weight in a very, very competitive category. Um, so it's, you know, you always got your, your backs against the wall. It was certainly disappointing in the middle part of the season. The car started off pretty strongly. Um, uh, but uh, towards you know, the middle of the season, they, they they really struggled. They kind of lost their way on the setup, I think, and it probably didn't help. That Sebastian Bourdais was going back and forth between here and IndyCar, and yeah, you know, clearly concentrated, I think, on trying to get a, his IndyCar career back up and running again. That probably didn't help. Uh, nor did the. Uh, yeah the uh, to and fro you know, the, the musical chairs in the, in the driver seats for but the 5 and the 85 but it was a good strong run at the end of the season the final race at sebring was really strong mm-hmm. for gdc both cars actually running well uh, so that was good to see and uh, you know some some shakeups there and I think they can certainly have the potential to be contenders again in 21.
0: How important is it for a team like that, not that particular team, but for a team like that that we've, we've described there, Jeremy, to get off to a good start of the season and get the belief early on that you can compete with people who have got two, three, four times the amount of resources behind them?
2: Well, I mean, they did, though. I mean, the number five car was on the podium, third place in each of the first three races. Yes, exactly. So, you know, that was a good, strong start to the season. It's just in the middle that they kind of lost their way a bit. And then, as I say, came back strongly at the end. Uh, you didn't get the result they wanted. They only finished fifth in the final race, but it was looking a lot better than that for a goodly portion of the race.
0: I want to look forward slightly before I ask you for uh, your uh, drivers of, of each individual class that we'll go through. And don't worry if you both agree uh, on any uh, of those. Uh, and we'll start with GTD in a minute. But we, we've had a few announcements already. We're sort of straying into a, a little bit of, of a preview. But but we've had a few announcements already. Uh, fingers crossed that the 2021 calendar goes ahead as planned. It may, it may not. But one thing we do know is that uh, the organisation and the teams are good enough to be able to pivot quickly and, and make a season. Uh, Happen. Uh, We have spoken on midweek motorsport about the addition of a 100-minute race as a "quote unquote" qualifying race at the raw before the 24, which certainly suggests to me, um, although it's not getting full points at the moment, um, that that maybe one of the 100-minute races is under threat, uh, and that would be either Detroit or 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 Long Beach, uh, and therefore that's been put in as uh, as a as a banker. Uh, If you will. The biggest changes, Jeremy, is to where the machinery is going. No more Penske, but the two Acuras have been split between MSR and WTR. They've got the cars, they got them straight after Sebring. There's a bit of learning to do, but both of those organisations are among the best at what they do. We've got to expect them to be good next year with a very good car, as we've seen when it's been run by Penske.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I think with the the strength of HBD. I think the teams will be working a little bit more closely than were the Cadillac teams this year, for example, because Mm. uh, they clearly weren't working together at the final couple of races of the season. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see whether they do in fact do that, because if not, it it could be problematic, but yeah, you have two super successful teams there. Uh, Great to see uh, Michael Shank, uh, Meyer Shank racing back in the prototype ranks again after an absence of a few years, but he's going to be a learning curve. and, And I think they they are going to have to, each of those two teams are going to have to rely on HBD being uh, a factor in terms of the engineering to, to make sure they get the, uh, yeah. extract the maximum potential from those cars. I think they've already been testing, haven't they, probably oh, yeah. this week at Daytona. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they've, uh, they'll they've have a lot of information going into the first race of the season, no question about it, but it is going to be a learning curve for them and there's going to be various procedural things they're going to have to get used to. And even though, you uh, Mahashank Racing has been working with Acura uh, now for, for a long, long time, particularly in GTD, of course. It's still going to be a learning curve to get back into the, into the swing of running a prototype. And for WTR, of, you know, after these all these years of running with the GM products, that's going to be a learning curve for them as well. So, you know, it's not going to be easy by any means, even though they've got a very, very good car.
0: When Taylor gets their champion driver, Ricky Taylor... A- effectively came with the car apparently it was a package dealer you know sort of an optional extra just tick the box whatever um, so that is a degree of consistency there in terms of Renge van der Zander, second in the championship he will go with the car not necessarily that very car but he will go with a Cadillac to Chip Ganassi Racing and he's told us that one of the things that he's excited about is the resources that Chip Ganassi can bring to this. He's not been with a team who's had, for example, their own damper shop before. The, the, the ability to, <laughs> to, to do various different set-up changes and, and, and look after the dampers themselves and, 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 because it's Chip Ganassi. Clearly, the two Acura teams will start the season right up there amongst the favourites, but even with Chip Ganassi being a returning team, you've got to put them up against the favourites just because of what they bring to it. Kevin Magnussen is in a bit of an unknown quantity, but again, Renger said, look, he's watched his dad racing. It's not as if he doesn't know what, this is, what is happening here. Uh, those two, they should hit it off. Similar characteristics for the pair of them. Uh, the Danes and the, the Dutch don't take a lot of BS. They, they work well, they'll work well together. I, I think they've got to be in the hunt as well.
1: I'm pretty sure that the last uh, IMSA race that Kevin Magnuson came to was Petit Le Mans a couple of years ago when he was babysitting his little brother and sister. Correct. Um, So he does know IMSA. He's familiar with the paddock. He's familiar with the rules package. He's got that old man of his to uh, bounce any questions off of. And Jan is a definite uh, resource in terms of that. Jan knows every trick in the book that you can play in the U.S. Between him and then Renger, Chip likes winners mm. he's picked these two drivers for a very good reason ranger has won the last two rolexes alongside wayne taylor racing's organization mm. they are going to be a fan favorite to come out and win the first race right out of the gates
0: and i expect to see scott dixon announced in that car uh, as well all right uh we've gone through it we've had our cogitation and machination about what the season held i think we're all in pretty strong agreement that it was a pretty darn good season um champions congrats everybody who got to a race congrats because we want to celebrate the people who got there uh, and there were some very good reasons for people that didn't uh, extraordinary that we got the season that we got gt daytona who's your driver of the year uh, share
2: oh
1: this one's hard um
0: <laughs> it is this
1: is the only class that i can't pick
0: pick a crew so i mean if you can't split two drivers in a car i don't have a problem with that
1: no 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 no. um i'm going back and forth between two american legends um i'm gonna go with patrick long on this one because we weren't expecting the right motorsport Porsche to come out and finish in the top three of the championship when the year began, That's just because true. of the competitive nature of everybody out there. And, and I'm, I'm fully honest about that. I talked with Patrick about that, actually, about this time last year and what mm-hmm. his expectations were. He said he was in a different role. He was still looking to try and go out and win races, but he was trying to mentor Ryan Hardwick. Yeah. Well, he mentored him. He mentored him really well. They wound up <laughs> winning races. They got on the podium a lot. So in terms of getting more than was expected, I've got to go with Plongy.
0: I think maybe just for the stint where he took the car out at Sebring. Sebring, by the way, the bumpiest track of the year, when it had what transpired was a broken shock absorber and managed to get the car tuned in to a point where they could not only get it to the end, but get it to the end competitively. Extraordinary. Uh, So Pat Long or someone else in GT Daytona? Jeremy Shaw.
2: Could be anybody. I tell you yes. what, on that uh, on that uh, right sports car, Jan Halen was a bit of a star. Hey, wasn't boss, he was, wasn't uh, he? He, you know, he set the fastest lap at, uh, at Petit and was on the pole position and uh, dominated the early stages uh, at Sebring. In the finale, he was very impressive. God, I mean, that's, I'm glad I'm glad you asked Shay first because you could really pick it, one of a dozen drivers in there. Yeah. A guy who, who was super impressive for me was Aaron Teelitz. Yeah. Um, in uh, and and that number fourteen team, you know, it all went pear-shaped in those last couple of races for them in terms of the championship, but uh, they drove superbly, given his relative lack of experience in these sort of cars. Telips was really really impressive. He had, he had a couple of pole positions. Uh, they had the uh, the three wins on the year. He and Jack Hawks, Hawksworth. So uh, I think it, that, that they might get the, the nod for me. But uh, as Shay says, you know, small margins. I, yeah, I It's very.
0: And in fairness, that the the AIMVASA Sullivan Lexus team—they did so much work um, with Michelin uh, when the Michelin tyres came in to keep the cars under that tyre. It's not that long ago that we were talking about them burning through rear tyres uh, for fun. Uh, so they work really, really hard indeed. GT Le Mans, a small but powerful entry, uh, will go to share first
1: again. Um, okay, mine is coming out of left field a little bit. One race win on the year for the 25 BMW. But standout performance of the year definitely, for me, goes to Connerdy Felipe yeah. Because no matter how the BMW was performing, he got the most out of it any given weekend. More than his teammates were able to mm. on more occasions than not. So it, they didn't wind up with the most number of wins. They only got three uh, four trophies on the year, all said and done. But Connor was the one who, no matter what the car was doing, was able to drive it and drive it above everyone else. Jeremy?
2: Yeah, it was a very impressive season, wasn't it? But uh, to me, it's got to be one of the two Corvette drivers, Antonio Garcia or Jordan Taylor. Uh, they, uh, you know, they. Had a, a steep learning curve with that car at the beginning of the year. Yeah, done a lot of testing, of course, but testing isn't racing. No. Uh, and they came out of the box super strong and, and remained all the way through the season. Hardly any mistakes from either of those two. Picking between Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor might impossible. be difficult, um, if not impossible. Uh, but um, they they were the the class of the field in GTLM for me. That,
0: that, I, I still think, remarkably, after everything he's done and after the career he's got, that Antonio Garcia is still by a lot of people underrated jeremy and i think yeah. what but what he has done is he's formed one of those classic endurance partnerships with jordan that you know when we, when we talk about McNish and capello and christensen I, I think in a few years time we'll be talking about those two in in the same terms in fact we should be probably doing it already and i, I can't split those two either I, i'm i'm not going to disagree uh, with that lmp2 a little bit clearer perhaps share with a runaway champion who uh, difficult because so many people were in and out of that championship.
1: No, it's, it's Patrick Kelly, no holds yes. bar Just because Just of what enthusiasm.
0: He's... Never mind anything else.
1: Yeah. But I mean, he would go out for a qualifying session and he would take two, three seconds off the best time that he had done prior to that in the weekend. The guy learned so much this year mm. and he was able to put it into a practical term where he was driving away from everyone else in his class but honourable mention to Ben Keating for his performance at Daytona oh, because yeah. he did the exact same thing to everyone else, but we only saw him for the one race there. Yeah,
0: good point. Uh, Patrick Kelly, Runaway Champion, is he your P2 driver of the year, Jeremy? or Did you see something uh, from from one of the, the drop-in drivers through the... Uh...
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there were lots of cameo roles there, of course, but uh, you know, in terms of the full season, uh, you know, Patrick Kelly yeah. did stepped up to the plate. He did exactly what he wanted to do, what he was asked to do, uh, and what he could do. And you know, he his performance in the races was really, really impressive. It just left left them way, way behind. And uh, again, you know, barely mistake, I think. And for somebody with. With so little experience at this level, yeah, he really stepped up. Super job by Patrick Kelly.
0: So many times when we were half an hour into the race um, and he'd started, I would look at the gap between first and second in P2 and go... Hang on, it's 46 seconds. Or, you know, it was just extraordinary how we found the pace. All right, top of the shop, DPI. Uh, Jeremy, you can have a go at this one first. Winners, Ricky Taylor, Elio Castro Nevers. Was it somebody further down the field, or was it one of the big guns that came in to augment in the long-distance races? So many good drivers this year.
2: (sighs) There really were. It was a great season of racing in in the uh, DPI ranks, and uh, yeah, I think uh, it'd be unfair to give it to somebody who who wasn't part of the uh, the full season uh, exploits. And uh, I think yeah, for me, yeah, perhaps rank van der Zander, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I mean, I would be happy with half a dozen different drivers to be to have that, that accolade because it it, it, it was a standout year. Yeah, Ryan Briscoe was impressive as well. Somehow, Renger seems to get more of the plaudits, but yeah, Ryan really stepped up on several occasions during this year, and uh, yeah, they would have been worthy champions. Uh, but but take nothing away from Elio Castroneves and Ricky Taylor either, because no. you know they, they were strong with with a very very good car. But yeah, my pick, I think it's going to be Renger van der Zander.
0: Yeah, I agree with you with Ryan. He did a couple of uh, stints in the middle of Sebring at the end of the year, which were absolutely outstanding. Share, is it Renger or is it someone else? It's Renger. Yeah. Dang it,
1: Jeremy goes first and he, he thinks like No, my no, thing. no. There um, was no
0: collusion here. No collusion. Nope.
1: Nope. No collusion whatsoever. Um, it, it, it's Renger. You look at the performances throughout 2020 mm. and only on two occasions was Ryan Briscoe able to set a faster lap than Renger van over the course of the race. It wasn't because of any sort of weird qualifying patterns or somebody getting fresh tires. That's just the way that the cookie crumbled. And Ranger, very comfortable with the Cadillac. He's been driving it for three seasons now. He knows how to handle it. Ryan was stepping into this car after driving the Ford GT. So I do give him a buffer period of yeah. learning the car. But their performances, particularly at the long races that, that they came away with the watch and the win it at uh, Motul Petit Le Mans. But then also you, you think about the Laguna Seca race, which was a nightmare for Wayne Taylor Racing. Ranger still set the fastest lap. So it was a very good season from Renger.
0: I'm going to give honourable mentions to a couple of guys who weren't in the same car but will be next year, and that's Harry Tinknell and Ollie Jarvis. And, and the thought of those two together, albeit in a singleton Mazda next year, is frankly mouth-watering. Uh, the other people I want to say thank you to are our colleagues at IMSA, particularly Tyler Norling and the rest of the technical team on site, who made sure everything went smoothly there. And then we went out on the PA from wherever we were, whether we were on site, as we were at the start of the season, or later on when we weren't. And... Uh, of course, Keith D'Alessandro and everybody at NASCAR Productions up in Charlotte who made sure that we could see what we were talking about. Although, frankly, with Jeremy, me and sheer I'm sure that even if we couldn't see and we only had the timing screens, we'd make something up that was reasonably interesting. Because that's what IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship has been about this past 2020 season. Jeremy share thank you very much for all your hard work and thank you for joining me for this look back at the extraordinary 2020 season in so many ways and 2021 is just around the corner and we'll be back doing it all again from the raw on RS2 IMSA Radio part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels
2: this program is a radio show limited production
0: tell your friends there's more at Radiolamont.com